Hi, everybody. You're listening to the 48th episode of Hit the Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, learner's permits, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we go berserk in North Carolina, make a cat's deli run, drive a horseless carriage to Cleveland so we can legally change our name, and reflect on whether we should go back to business as usual once COVID comes under control. So we'd like to start off this episode like we do all of our previous episodes by showcasing what it is that we are drinking while we are recording this beautiful podcast and today i am taking it back to a new york classic i am drinking an arizona iced tea out of a 23 ounce can it is lemon ice it is iced tea with lemon flavor so let's keep that 100 it is iced tea that's flavored with lemon it is not lemon iced tea but it's delicious i was uh I actually was out in the park earlier and was drinking it and didn't finish it. And so I figured, you know what, let me finish it while I continue this uh, beautiful podcast. And so that is what I am sipping on today. Now I got to pass it to my man, Dorian. What's up? And what are you drinking? DiCarlo, doesn't, does the iced tea go flat? Like you open up a can of Pepsi or Sprite or Mountain Dew? No, because it's not carbonated. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I'm going to, you're having a New York classic. I'm having a... Nordic classic. It's always supporting good American jobs. This beer I have is called Der Kommissar. It's a wheat beer from Buzzed Viking in Concord, North Carolina. To Carlo, what the heck does Der Kommissar mean? I, it's, do you have any idea? Huh? The commission, I believe. Oh, the commission. Okay, so cheers to the commission as I take a drink. And I want to I want to share with everyone. A little story about the berserkers, those crazy, naked Viking warriors who terrorized Europe in the what dark ages? You're an expert, um, that theory, aren't you? So I w- it would it would be classified as the dark ages, even prior. Yeah, dark ages, middle ages. It, are we talking about Vikings, right? So this would be yeah, yeah dark dark middle ages, up until the medieval the, period, the darkest of ages for Europe at least. So they, uh, they were described as Odin's warrior. And in one specific old Nordic saga thingamajig, we have our HBP bullpen who actually speaks Danish, and they're going to pronounce this actual old literary thing. And it's the commissioner, not the commission. My mistake. That's fine. There we go. I, 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 I'm sorry, uh, Hager. Say it again. Ungelingasega. Whatever that means. Ingalingasenga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually goes off the tongue pretty well. Ingalingasenga. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. My Danish is gonna get a lot better after I finish this Buzz Viking uh, wheat beer. But anyways, mm-hmm. what they said in the Ingalingasaga was Odin was the ultimate. He was the Zeus of the Nordic pantheon. His men went to battle without armor and acted like mad dogs or wolves. They bit into their shields and were as strong as bears or bulls. They killed men, but neither fire nor iron harmed them. This madness, this madness is called berserker fury. You know what? The, when I hear this stuff, you know, like when you're maybe a kid or even even now, if you like to just randomly pick fist fight with people on the street, you get so angry that people start crying. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's like they just get this. <laughs> so, but there, there's an issue here because these berserkers they would fight naked. They would they they said that they had the strength of bears, and so there was actually a uh, a few years ago 
an ethnobotanist from the University of Lubinia in Slovenia, Karsten Fatur, he wrote in a uh, in the Journal of uh, Ethnopharmacology back in 2019 that he believes that the berserkers ingested something called henbane, mm. henbane, henbane, H-E-N-B-A-N-E. It might be pronounced henbane. Henbane. So basically, this was like it grew like a weed in the times of, of the Vikings, it all through Scandinavia, and it dull pain. It dulls. It's you can still use it. It dulls mm. pain. It contributes to the inability to recognize faces. It causes you to remove clothing, mm. and it lowers the blood. It lowers your blood pressure, which can it which can account for the fact that when these berserkers, they would not bleed when they were struck with a blade. So it's all very interesting. Have you, my friend, have you ever been to Slovenia, to Lubinia? No, I've never been to Slovenia. But it's interesting that looking back how warriors in the past would still use some type of stimulants. Because even if you say, look at World War II, you had Nazi soldiers, they were given pervin, which was mm -hmm. almost like speed. Right. And, you know, you even, I think recently with ISIS fighters and the Taliban, they would give their warriors like, a lot of like opium or other stimulants mm. or not the opium five stimulants but other drugs to kind of kit them like to dull their sense or methamphetamines actually they always give methamphetamines that's like the one thing because it keeps you you can keep going for hours and hours and then you're you're kind of your senses are kind of all over the place so you're not in the zone really understanding what it is that you do until after you come down but the problem was just even thinking back like the nazis when they were doing this because i read this book actually like a year or two ago called blitz which was talking about the great drug book. yeah you read that book yes i did it's a great yeah. book so you know it's just interesting how like pharmaceuticals have always been like it's infused and you know they they do give soldiers um you know some type of stimulants to keep them going so it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to i mean even if you think of the assassins who um who were um the warriors back during the what is it the crusades who oh, were like going to say that video game? Oh, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed. You really, but no, but I mean, it's it's loosely based on the Hashashins, which they were called because they were known to smoke hashish, and that was something that they were known to do prior to actually carrying out a killing. So, yeah, maybe the, the use of drugs and, and war in military history is it's synonymous. It's not surprising. Yeah, people, we recommend you to, to read that book. This is just because it's such a good book. Believe me, we're not getting any money out of this. It is Blitzed, Drugs in the Third Reich. By and, the the cover, and the cover is really cool, too, because it has like that that's almost like blurred type of thing. It's like when, you, when, you're, when you're drunk or you can't read things because things are blurry. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the author is Norman. Uh, actually, I'm a, he's German and you can speak German. So what's how do you pronounce his name? O-H-L-E-R, Norman Uller, O-H-L-E-R. Uller. Ola, Norman, yeah, Norman Ola. Ola. So yeah, so people, I promise you, even though you can't see me, I'm not going to remove my clothes or start crying or going to kill people. I'm just enjoying a nice drink from uh, Buzz Viking. So, and when you're enjoying a nice drink, feel free to share with your favorite podcast what you're drinking. Send us a picture to our Twitter handle at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPDrink with that picture mm. we have we're going to stay in new york because we're going to call our favorite brooklyn is she from brooklyn or queens brooklyn right yeah it's more like she was from brooklyn she has that brooklyn awesome. demeanor we're going to go straight to our segment miss cleo time aka weekly predictions call me now i think you do that one better than i do 
Call me now for your free tower card reading. Exactly. I missed that woman. That was like, can you remember like the infomercials from like the late 90s and early 2000s? So you have Miss Cleo, you have Psychic Friends Network. Diane Diane Warwick, yeah. Dionne Warwick, yeah. Dionne Warwick, yeah. Um, What else? You used to have um, Walter Mercado who would do the astrology. Oh, oh, that's a blast. You know, speaking of good books and stuff like that, documentary, did you you watch the Netflix documentary? Yes, I did. I did, yes. That was surprisingly good. It really was. That was surprisingly good. It was, it was it was it was the same that he passed away not too long after doing that but yeah, yeah. for those of you who don't for those of you who aren't in the uh hispanic culture or whatever but walter walter mercado was this he was a psychic right yeah like for like he was decades. an astrologer yeah, astrologer was, yeah yeah whatever you know he would you know taurus today you're gonna whatever he was the puerto was, rican liberace like real real talk he was that's like, true yeah he was like the puerto rican liberace very effeminate features would wear all these flashy garbs and he was really like i mean any latino community within the americas knew who walter mercado was because he would you would tune in to his show and he would go through a whole like you know like you say taurus today you are and he was just like a cultural icon even though like and then you would see him like in in new york and stuff he would just have like random commercials and he would just be there like doing his hands in the camera and stuff but yeah, he was, he's the, what are those? Selling like, Subway. Oh, Selling yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. Well, no, that was Tattoo from, uh, from, you remember he did that before he passed away from Fantasy Island, the little guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, he had a hard life. There was a movie that they did with Peter Dinklage playing him on HBO, which actually wasn't bad. It was like my, my night with, I forgot what his last name, like his name was, it'll come to me eventually, but anyway. Sorry, we digress. No, it's fine. So Miss so Miss Cleo, she's calling us from beyond the grave, aka Brooklyn. And last week, if you remember, we had a we had Cat's Deli. For those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with New York, Cat's Deli is one of the best delis in New York. Um and most and very notable too, because if you've ever watched where Harry met Sally, the orgasm scene that where Meg Ryan is doing the yes, yeah, that yeah. was and then Rob Reiner's mom is like, I'll have what she's having. That was in Catch Deli. So yeah, it's, how it's could very, Rob Reiner, the director of that movie, have his mom? Because his dad, because his dad was also a comedian, and then he, you know, it's like yeah, when you're in show family. business and stuff like that, it's not out of the ordinary when you your your parents say some weird crap. So I think it's kind of like comes with the territory. That's true. So Cat's Deli was on the line because I predict because because the Atlanta Braves played the New York Yankees in Atlanta on the 23rd and the 24th of August. It was a quick two-game series, just like they had a two-game series, I think back in June and up in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees and the Braves split that two-game series. I predicted that the, that the Braves were going to sweep the Yankees in the two games. DiCarlo predicted that it was going to be, again, a split series. The Braves won one game, the Yankees win another. Drum roll. We're both wrong. <laughs> we're both wrong because the Yankees won both games. <laughs> both teams, the Braves and the Yankees, entered the game on each one of them had identical nine game winning streaks. So again, these are the two of the hottest teams in, in Major League Baseball, especially in August. And the pitching matchup on the 23rd of August, the Yankees won five to one. It, the Yankees had Jordan Montgomery and the Braves had Wascarinoa going. Now, Wascarinoa is from Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic. And what I loved was 
well, is that Jordan Montgomery, and this is, DeCarlo, this is the Braves announced, the TV announcer said, and this is true, you can look this up, Jordan Montgomery is from Sumter, South Carolina, and the Braves broadcast said, uh, and the young man Jordan Montgomery comes from Braves country, Sumter, South Carolina. <laughs> I love, I love that, again, the if you, those of you who have listened for almost a year now know that there's about five or six Major League Baseball teams that have true nationwide followings and the Braves and the Yankees are two are two of those teams yeah they are uh, you but, know and it's interesting I will say the Braves but it's it, but Braves also have a regional type of area too because apart from once you move past DC yeah. all the way down there's really no sport there's no baseball yeah. it's either you, you SEC college football and then the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta like in Georgia that pretty much covers the deep south Apart from the teams in Florida. Yeah, no, but even in Florida, because what I love is the Braves, Braves country is basically from just below, probably like central Virginia, because DC and Northern Virginia, that's, those are, now they're all national fans, but about, let's say central Virginia. But are they really though? I mean, it's. Yeah, but DC is very transient. It's just like, you know, New York and Chicago. So you have fans of everybody in these cities, Mm. but from about central Virginia out to, let's say, Oklahoma down to about central florida and then back up to like central virginia that triangle louisiana mississippi alabama tennessee it's there's there isn't a baseball team for a thousand miles and it's all braves country i love it and the braves have fans outside of this triangle as well but i just loved i started laughing when the broadcaster said the yankees pitcher jordan montgomery from braves country sumter south carolina (laughs) He, he, he pitched he pitched he pitched well. He, he uh, Montgomery had pitched for five innings. He gave up two hits, one run, but his command was really off. And so it's like surprising that the, the stats look good, but he, he was shaky at times. It was, as you can imagine, it's a sold out state. It's a sold out. They had 41,000 people there. Um, and, and the Yankees won. They, they beat up on the, on the Braves, um, uh, the Braves bullpen. The very next night, the Yankees win five to four on the 24th of August. Giancarlo Stanton, Mr. I'm always injured. The New York Yankees, what is he, right fielder, designated hitter, whatever he is. More than anything else. He actually had a couple. He, he, these two games, he did well. He had, he had three hits and seven at bats, two home runs. The Carlo, his home runs, he, Giancarlo Stanton's a monster. What is he, like 6'4, six, 6'5? Six, he's like yeah, 240. His, his muscles have muscles. His both of his home, he had a home run on the 23rd and he had another home run on the 24th of August. It was almost like a check squint. He didn't, you would think that he would just go, just go right through. And he was, he just kind of like reached out hmm. and that ball just went boom, 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 boom. And it just went right over the, right over the fence. Like those guys, like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Staten, they just have to touch, get make contact, and that ball's going out. So they weren't monster home runs, but again, a home run is a home run. Who cares if it's 450 square feet, square feet, 450 feet or 300 and I don't know, 50 feet. It doesn't matter. It's a home run. So hat tip to Giancarlo Stanton. Aaron Judd had some really good catches in, 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 in the, in defense. There were some, you know, base running errors in the Braves, whatever. What I was really unsurprised with to Carlo is, Every time I see, I don't watch a lot of Yankees games, but every time I see uh, a Roldis Chapman, your favorite Dunkin' Donuts sponsor, what is it? What, what is he sponsor? What did he used to sponsor in New York? No, they did. It was a. Um, 
because I know a couple of years ago they just did like a, a play. I don't know if he truly did actually do ad, like advertisements for the. For no, but remember you said you said a, a few months ago that he was like he made like I strike you out like obviously no no know. it was it was a, it was actually a joke from the Yankees like they did it on the Yes Network oh, and it was like oh, oh, him was and Badantes when he was still in the Yankees and they were acting like they were like a, a heat like HVAC company because they brought the heat. And and so all it. you had is chat was just stand there and he would say the only lie because you know he speaks like no English. Yeah, like, we bring the heat. That was it. <laughs> I love but, yeah. it. I let me tell you, people. Uh, Chapman was—he's the New York Yankees reliever, and he did not bring anything on the twenty fourth because the Yankees bring are anything up. anytime, man. That dude is so inconsistent. It's I, but that's what you get, unfortunately. And I'm not trying to generalize, so please forgive me, everybody. But a lot of Dominican like closers tend to have that. They have strong like fire pitches, but their command is off, and they'll have sometimes they shut you down, and other times they're getting smacked all over the place. It's like. I don't know what happens, especially with, with Chapman. Like, and it seems like well, I remember when we traded him in 2016, I think, to the to the Cubs. The Cubs so, yeah. And then they ended up winning the World Series yep. that year. And he but, almost blew, he almost blew a, a, a he almost blew it in game seven as well. Yeah, but he is his command. It's just like like his stuff is fire, but he has no command. And it's like I think it's his lack of like I don't know what to say, discipline, maybe in no. terms of like none. Chapman can throw the ball 103 miles. Like there's only so much command when that, and he's a big boy too. And mm-hmm. it, it's a, he's all, he's limbs and muscles. It, he, he, he has a tendency to throw the ball real high. A lot of times it just goes straight to the, to the netting back there, but we got the bad. Well, we, as in the Braves got the bad Chapman, which was a good thing at the bottom of the ninth inning on the 24th of August, the Braves are down five, three. He comes in. And as usual, I don't mean as usual, as usual, when I see him, he's not that good. And he has a massive contract. I mean, they think they're paying him like 75. The Yankees are paying a, a roadless Chapman like $75 million, I think, for like three or four years or something like that. Something a so crazy, stupid. crazy number. And, and it's mainly because of, of the market. It's not as though like, remember, like, all right. So if you go, say, late 90s, early 2000s, even to the late 2000s, you still had, I think that was like the golden age of closers. Because you had, you had Rivera, you had Trevor Hoffman, you had Jonathan Papelbon, who was hitting like strides at that point for Boston. Like there was always like this premium on good closers who were sufficient and good. Now it's anybody who has very good stuff and could get you maybe 70% of the time uh, a safe. But unfortunately, you don't really see this anymore. There's really, it, there's really no skill in the closers. It's like, all right, we'll get somebody who can throw 100 miles per hour, and I think we'll be okay, as opposed to we have a closer who probably comes in with three to four pitches and uses their speed really as a way to, like, mix up their off-speed pitches, too. Like, you don't really see that. And I think what would serve a lot of pitchers, especially those who come from Latin America, too, and, and not so much so, because I know, like, pitchers who come from, say, like, Venezuela or even other, like, areas, they have a little – they play a little bit more with their pitches, whereas – I find with a lot of Dominican players, they, they're more or less focused on the talent as opposed to the industry and, and developing pitches and the, the discipline that comes with it. Honestly, I think a good idea would be creating a pitching uh, school in DR 
where we take some of these young pitchers and we help them on their pitching mechanics and their discipline and developing their pitches so that when they do come to the majors, they're not just clumped into this, this, oh, they have a lot of fire stuff and they're not really disciplined. They'll just try to blow you out as opposed to working the cow and trying to actually mix things up a little bit and not always giving up a home run to completely blow a save. Yeah. By the way, our HBP bullpen just passed me a note that Chapman's contract isn't $75 million. It's a three-year $48 million. So it's about $16 million million a year is a lot of money. Yeah. So basically Chapman did not do well. He only pitched 230 innings. He gave up two hits. He walked two. He left with the bases loaded and he actually walked in a run. I mean, it just, and then uh, they had the Yankees brought in uh, uh, Wandy Peralta to come in. The 2020 National League MVP, Atlanta Braves first baseman, Freddie Freeman, came up. Bases loaded. That's exactly what you want. And he lined out to deep center left field, and that was the ball game. So, mm. but whatever. So it was uh, it was, it was, was good to see that energy with the crowd. There's a lot of, as you can imagine, again, the Yankees have a nationwide fan base. There was a lot of Yankees fan in the crowd. It was sold out. It was, uh, it was a good two games. So ultimately – to Carlo, we are going Dutch on ice cream because remember we did the Rays and the and the Yankees bet back in like May or June, mm-hmm. and then now we're gonna have to go Dutch at uh, Cats Deli. So yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, oh but, oh, and then to to re- to relieve your worries about Chapman, De Carlo, my last point is here is that I watched Jonathan Loisiga. He's a reliever from Nicaragua. Homeboy was straight fire. He pitched two innings in that game that Chapman almost blew. No, he pitched two innings on the on the 23rd of August. And he pitched two innings, struck out four. The guy was untouchable. Un, like, genuinely untouchable. I don't know why the Yankees don't give Jonathan uh, uh, Loisiga a shot at at the the reliever role. I mean, I'm sure he's earning like well, minimum, probably, like half a million dollars or something. Well, they probably are because it's I would say this much. Since the also awesome. break, the Yankees, even though they've been forced, a lot of it first starting with uh, players who were out due to COVID protocols, but then just injuries. They've given they've given their young kids a shot, which I think they kind of got to that point where a lot of people are almost like counting them out. So it was just like, eh, whatever. And sometimes going to the to the farm system is the best move that you can make. And if they can see that this guy has a little bit more, you know, I think prior to putting him in the closer role, you kind of want to, I think this even goes back to say what they did with Mariano Rivera, where he started out as the setup man for John Wetland back in 94, 95. And then he took the reins. And 96 as well. Yeah. And 96. Yeah. When they won the championship. And, and then eventually just, letting them take over because sometimes you want to do that. You, and especially because the closer role is a big role in the team. Now it's not like how it used to be back in the seventies and eighties, where you just have somebody come in and just close the game. It's like, now it's, it's synonymous with, you know, big pressure, big time games, being able to do that. And you don't really want to throw a young player out there. And if they do have good stuff, you want them to develop with as less, with as least pressure as possible. So I think he's one to look out for. And if he has the stuff like you were saying, then I, I think it would only be a matter of a time before he puts himself into the conversation because Chapman, as we know, is a very inconsistent pony. And the guy expensive. has heat. Expensive. Uh, yeah, very expensive. And so 
you know, after this season, if there are some ways to cut some corners, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a loophole to get out of his contract, they would do so. So we'll see. But we'll see. My friend, I'm going to tell you, you know who doesn't cut corners? Who's that? And, and you know who's also expensive? Our, this week's sponsor. Oh, and you're, oh, you, oh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going big time to Carla. We're big time now. We have sponsorship from one of the finest ateliers, the finest French clothing. And this is for our female listeners and also our male listeners who have to buy beautiful perfumes and dresses for their wives and girlfriends and moms and grandmothers, sisters, nieces, mistresses. I, I didn't, I don't know what, you, what that last thing you said. Mistresses. Our show sponsor. <laughs> Our show sponsor, Sonia Chiquiel. Ladies and gentlemen, Sonia Chiquiel is one of the icons of French fashion. Say oui du Paris, the glamour, the splendor of French craftsmanship, the likeness of you. Say oui du Paris, Sonia Chiquiel, spring, summer 2022. Go, people. We are elevated. We are classy now. We, we, we need to stop drinking beer and Arizona lime, Arizona lime, Arizona iced tea, my friend. We need to go French wine, Italian wine, Japanese um, uh, sake, Korean. What's the Korean version of sake? Um, uh, uh, I would say Edu. Edu is not the wrong. Anyways, it doesn't matter. We we need to go. We need to classy up this it thing. It matters rather. to our Korean listeners. We just don't know it. Sorry. <laughs> it's soju, soju, soju. Soju. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I, I actually say gongju, but it's soju. I actually prefer Korean soju to Japanese sake because soju is is served cold. Sake is served hot. But eh, we're talking sake about you can drink it cold depending on which ones. I prefer soju, my friend. But. We, we could pre- have this discussion. Maybe that's something we need to do one of these days. Like we could just have like our drinks and we could go off on why we, you know, because I love sake. I, I really am okay. impartial to sake. Soju. I don't. Good, ha- I don't hate sake, but I really like soju, and I even I like better our new French sponsor, Sonia Chiquiel. People, I can't believe we got a a, a famous French fashion house to sponsor Hipster Baseball Podcast. And you know what else? I can't believe people. What's going on in, in between my, my ears? What's, go, what's on the mind of moi, which is French for me? So Carlo, I'm sure you heard this. The Cleveland Indians change, are changing their name beginning in the 2022 season. They've been the Cleveland Indians since the year 1915, since the Woodrow Wilson administration. Hmm. Now they're changing it to the Guardians. Why? Well, because... It's been deemed as uh, racist, as inconsiderate to Native American tribes. And so now they're going to be the, I'm sorry, they're going to be the Cleveland Guardians, if I didn't mention that before. Did you hear about, you heard about this, didn't you? Yeah, I've heard about it. I'm not, I'm not against them changing their name because, you know, I think I'm not, for one, I will never sit back and say that to people that, you know, Native American tribes who have been deemed Indians or even say like people from India have an issue with a team being called Indians. Like, who am I to sit back and say, like, you know, F your feelings. I don't care. Like, no, if it's insensitive, it's sensitive. But my thing that I find problematic is the fact that these teams don't really tend to put too much effort into trying to find new names. Like, 
for example, the Washington football team. You couldn't come up with a different name as opposed to the Redskins. You just say, you know what? Let's just go with the Washington football team. That's it. Like, really, guys? It just shows that if it isn't, like, something (laughs) insensitive, you can't really think of anything in D.C. or that you could – it's the seat of government. Like, you can find something that that could work as opposed to the, you know, the Washington football team. Well, the Washington sports pantheon are some of the worst nicknames. You have the Washington Capitals. Yeah, yeah the Senators. The Washington before. Nationals. The Washington Senators. Before. Which was legit because the Senators in Washington. Like, or you could put the the, the Washington cesspool or the sausage makers. Like, I the mean, Washington it kind of. Swamp. Yeah, exactly. It works. No, I'm joking. But no, I mean, you could come up with better names. It's just. It just shows that a lot of these people, it, it kind of even goes into what we say about the whole designs with like drain the swamp to Carlo. Oh, man, that swamp is too big to drain. But I'm even but even like with the what you were saying with the, the Nike jerseys, it just seems like when people are supposed they're not putting any effort. It's like, okay, let's do the minimum, let's try to be as minimalistic as we can without any effort whatsoever. When you know, people will eventually get over it and move forward. And you've already started to see that change in the Cleveland Indians to, well, beforehand, because remember with like Jacob Seale, they called him the tribe and they stopped calling him the tribe. And then, you know, they, they stopped doing the, uh, no, the Braves were the ones who did the, oh, like, you know, hey, 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 we don't talk about that. Yeah, exactly. But the Braves still in the Atlanta Braves. I don't think they're going to change their name. Uh, <laughs> any, anyways, I'm going to push back. We're not talking about my Atlanta team. We're talking about the Cleveland soon to be guard, Indian, soon to be guardians. I'm going to push back on you saying that there's no thought behind it because actually I'm not a fan of Cleveland Indians. I'm agnostic about the Indians. I don't hate them. I don't like them. They're just the Indians, but they did decide to, to name them the guardians after these iconic, beautiful art deco sculptures that were completed in the 1930s. And I highly recommend you listener to just use your internet machine and look up the guardians of traffic So basically, these are four beautiful Art Deco sculptures, as I mentioned to you previously, that they they're on the what's now called the Hope Memorial Bridge leading to Progressive Field, where the Indians soon to be guardians play. And it actually used to be called the Lorraine uh, Carnegie Bridge. But it's for some reason, Carlo, it's named Hope Memorial after not Bob Hope, Bob Hope's dad. It's named after him. I didn't know he was that such a he was that big of a deal, but apparently Bob Hope's dad worked on the bridge back in the twenties, nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. Yeah. And so, basically, this this is why we're getting our learner's permit. The four Art Deco statues, obviously two leading, two on each side of the bridge, they each hold a different a vehicle, a, a horseless carriage. One's a hay wagon, another one is holding a covered wagon, another one's holding a stagecoach, a passenger car. A dump trunk, dump truck, a concrete mixer. Now, now you're losing me, people. And a bunch of other trucks. Mm. And so basically, it's like showing the progression of horseless carriage transportation or whatever. So, um, which I like that they still exists in Cleveland if you've ever been. I don't care if you do. Cleveland, I went was it, a couple years ago. I mean, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is dope. I will say that. The rest of the city, just listen to me quiet. I have nothing nice to say. So my last point here is uh, <laughs> I, I, 
I, I think the Cleveland Guardians name is going to grow on me, especially because on this podcast and in my personal life, I love art. I love thoughtful things, really thinking things through, obviously, as you guys can tell, because how much I've really disliked, as the Carlo mentioned, the City Connect jerseys that Nike has rolled out this year. They've been, frankly, awful. Uh, there's an article out there that said that they compared the Guardians logo to the poster of Major League, that hilarious baseball comedy movie from 1989 um, with the remember if you guys remember it was that that the ball like with the mohawk screaming yeah and so basically the the guardian second logo is not doesn't have the mohawk or the sunglasses but it has like uh art deco stylized wings on the side of the baseball so i i don't know how to i, I don't know i don't know about i don't think about congratulating but i tip my hat to your favorite owner's cousins the dolans in Cleveland, because remember, I don't know what back in episode it was, but the the who's the Dolan that owns the the, the Madison Square? Dolan. James Dolan. His cousins own the the Cleveland Indians. So slight tip of the hat to the Cleveland, Ohio Dolans for this artistic, almost thoughtful name. That's what's been on my mind. Mm. What's been on your mind, my friend? Um, what's you know? It's really interesting because with the whole pandemic and everything, it's really brought into perspective a lot of things, especially when it comes around work and how we work, um, our, our, the culture of work in this society and how, you know, what will become of it once things kind of get quote unquote back to normal, which I think normal is going to be a very different thing that we see. And I think we're starting to settle into it a little bit, but I find a lot of people, and this isn't just me, like people I know personally, but then this is also people um, just in general. I, you know, the vibe is, is that, you know, people are kind of over the, the working, like work, li- working to live as opposed to living to like, not living to work as opposed to working to live, which is making your career, your end, excuse me, end all be all, as opposed to doing the things that you do loving what it is that you do, but not allowing it to overtake the life that you have. And a lot of friends and a lot of people, even just in my personal life, like I know for myself, I could say that um, I've been as a result of working remotely for large portions of the last like year and a half, almost two years, I've really come to see that my work process and my, my my whole overall process is it's abstract but it's also very it's it's very regimented in the sense that I like to get up I like to have my coffee and my breakfast and read my newspaper but then I'll focus like I'll I'll devote like you know like heavy con deep concentrated focus on work and then at certain points if I feel like I'm hitting a block I'll just get up and might take a walk or I might go for a run or I might play some music or, or do whatever the case may be and get back to it and not really find that being in the confines of having to be in an office or being in a classroom for me being an educator, you know, doing everything, all of this at any given point in time and have to be at work from like eight o'clock until like four o'clock or five o'clock or anything like that. Like I find that that doesn't really work. And I'm seeing a lot of other people who are kind of getting over that as well. It's like, you find more people who are willing to do freelancing, who are looking for jobs that are only working remotely or starting their own businesses. Like there was also an article I recently read that as a result of the pandemic, like this malaise that we found in entrepreneurship in the United States is actually kickstarted again because people were essentially forced 
to kind of do find other ways to make income during the pandemic because some of the conventional ways or ways that they were used to doing it, especially those who were really in the service industries and they really had no other outlets during the pandemic. They, they had to start to get new ways to do it. And, you know, one of the big like kickbacks people have kind of said as we've been having some of this economic recovery is that, oh, well, you know, you know, workers nowadays, like there's so many jobs that are open. There's almost like 10 million job openings and people aren't going back to work. So you have conservatives blaming the, the unemployment benefits that are the increased unemployment benefits, which I find is a stupid cop out. And Democrats saying, well, you know what? You have people who are just tired of getting paid. And I think it's kind of a, a two pronged thing. Like, if you think about it, if I could sit back and get paid to be at home and that gives me an opportunity to be creative and start thinking about my own thing, am I going to want to do it to then go, say, be a server in a restaurant where this pandemic has demonstrated to me that this job is a hell of a lot more unstable than it already was, to have to then go out there for pennies or little incentives that you might kick back, but is it really worth my time? And you even see this in big jobs and say, like, corporate America, like Goldman Sachs, where you start up at $150,000. A lot of people are like, I don't want to do that because I got to put in an average almost 100 hours a week and I can barely sleep. I can't go home. I have no life. Like even if I make money or after going to school, I've put so much investment in going to university. I have, I'm left with all of this debt. Then I'm tied into these jobs. Like I think a lot of where our generation has been caught up is, is that with student loan debt, we have not had an ability to really be what it is that we want to be. So we've had to take jobs that allow us to pay off this debt, even if we're not able to pay off this debt anytime soon. So I think now people having a little bit of freedom, especially you know those who do have degrees, just in that sense, because I could speak to that point, not having to make payments on them if they didn't or have been able to consolidate or pay it off, you're starting to see a shift. So I think that's going to be something that we find happening because I think now people have said, screw this. I don't want to be anybody else's boss. I want to be my own boss. I want to be free. I want to have my own opportunity. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens within the next five to 10 years. And that's really been what's on my mind. But there's also that movement in China. And I was actually trying to get the HB. I was trying to see if we have anybody on staff that's a uh, Mandarin speaker and I couldn't find them to Carlo. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But basically it's the lying flat movement. Yes, yes. Being exactly. content. I I the way I in China, in, in China, in in communist China, they have this thing called the lying flat movement. Or um do Tan we Ping. do we even Tan Ping in do we even like embarrass ourselves? I'm you're going with Tan Ping. I'm gonna go with Chang Bang. Ching bang ding bang. We're both horrendous in Mandarin, but anyways, <laughs> it's basically Sorry, translated. Our Mandarin listeners, I don't. I think actually we're banned in uh, just like Possibly. South Park. Ban? Do you, you ever watch that art that that uh, South Park episode banned in China? No, I didn't. Oh, 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 DeCarlo, you and the listeners, you have to watch that. Take twenty five minutes out of your day and watch South Park banned as in b-a-n-d because they're making a play on banned as in b-a-n-n-e-d banned in china as usual it's like borderline genius what south park does but anyways hbp i don't think that we're in china but uh anyways uh, so it's called the lying flat movement tang ping in mandarin 
And the way I see it, and maybe you do as well, DiCarlo, is just being content of like, I just want to be able to have enough money to do the things I want to do, not to be a slave, as DiCarlo I just mentioned, to a, a bigger corporation. Yeah. No, serious. And, and I think that's the one. And it even goes into the Scandinavian model, too, because if you look at, say, Finland and Denmark and places that have a universal basic income, but then have people who work like it's it doesn't incentivize people not for working. And I hate this argument that, oh, if you give people a lot of money, they're not going to work. Um, there's always going to be a subsection of, of society who are lazy. That's just what it is. This is it's a human thing. Absolutely. You're going to have people who are not going to want to do certain things or find every excuse not to. That's just a given. But the larger majority of people want to do something. And it gets boring not doing anything. Oh. But if you give people an opportunity to truly find their own vocation and do it in a way that's going to allow for them to be happy and maximize their potential, you're going to find society being content. And I think Sometimes, and this isn't like a, a, a hit against capitalism or anything like that. I think, our, I think the fact that we've been operating off of 18th and, 19th, and seven, like in 19th century economic models for so long, and we're in a 21st century, we're more globally connected. And these models are not sustainable because for one, environmentally speaking, we can't really sustain them. We need to find new ways to adapt and be a little bit more amiable for what is, especially being that our technology is now connecting people in ways that we've never seen before that doesn't require having people to have to be on site every single day. I will not disagree and say that having a company culture isn't important and that being there in person isn't necessary to have it. it truly is there needs to be some type of camaraderie but that can be done in many different ways it doesn't have to be i have to be like attached to my desk we could have little areas like i know there's i was reading some time ago that there are companies who are looking into just open like almost little satellite offices where people from their companies could chuck like they'll pop in because a lot of these a lot of um people as a result of the pandemic moved out of big cities like new york la to suburbs and so if you place them and like you have a little office satellite there in the suburbs or in the town where a large portion of your work population is, then those moments, it gives them the opportunity to pop in. Not only that, it makes it a little bit more accommodating for family life too. And not just for women in the workforce, but men in the workforce too. I really, I think our society has this warped idea that men don't matter when it comes to family life, when in fact we do. And men would also enjoy having that time to spend with their kids is not just oh because women are moms that they're they also like women want to spend time with their kids but so do fathers too and I think having that opportunity and those abilities to have flexibility with how people work and the flexibility within their schedules to allow them to participate and be a part of their, their children's development you're going to have less issues as we go on and I think as a society this might really help not only our economic output, I think it will definitely help our mental health output and just general overall happiness. But, you know, it's a lot of, it'll be a lot of hurdles to cross, but it's going to be interesting because like any generation that deals with nexus type events, you have uh, consequences that aren't easily seen right at the, the outset. You know what I mean? Like, we look at this pandemic and, you know, as things started opening, we kind of had like, oh, we knew things were going to change. 
but we still don't know yet. It's still kind of because we're still not even out of this pandemic. Like for what it's worth, like we still have a raging pandemic in many parts of the country and, you know, a lot of other like things going on in terms of people thinking about freedoms because of vaccines and everything else. But it'll be interesting to see because there's going to be a lot of changes. And I think this is going to be one of them that definitely stands the test of time over the course of our uh, of the next coming years. I do want to add, I do want to reiterate, dads do matter. As anyone who's watched the 1983 comedy, Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton to, can attest to, dads matter. Hilarious movie, people. Watch that. Put that on your Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Mr. Mom, 1983 with Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's super underrated uh, actor. Anyways, I don't you know. I, he was a, you know, he started out as stand-up comic, right? I didn't know that. I knew he started off as a comedian, comedic actor. But I didn't know he was a stand-up comic. Yeah, because I actually found out because there was this uh, short limited series on Showtime, the comedy store. So it was like going back and talking about the history of the comedy store, which is, if anybody doesn't know, the comedy store is a comedy like Pantheon in L.A. And they have locations in New York as well. But um, they they brought him like they had him in there. And I was like, oh, crap. Like and then like it went back when I'm thinking about like Beetlejuice and stuff like he did have that shtick. But People oh, yeah. forget, like, he really, like, well, a lot of people just didn't know, but including myself, but he started out as a stand-up, and as he pivoted into acting, it was initially in a lot of his scenes at first, like, in a lot of his roles at first, it was very comedic, and then it completely shifted to, you know, once he did Batman, it kind of, like, changed, like, his whole, oh, yeah. his whole, like, the, the films that he was, uh, that he was working on changed from being, com- like, comedic in nature. And what's changed, as the Carlo had previously said about COVID and how we work, how we think about work, where we do our work. It's also good for us, my friend, because that means people can stay at home and listen to this podcast. Yes, and I without get... fearing that their boss is going to come in and think like, oh, what do you got a podcast on? You're not productive. Because I'm just like, really? Like, let yeah. people find their, like, people have their way of working like me. I like classical music. I like sometimes I like drum and bass. Other times I might listen to like Euro pop. Like, you know what I mean? Sometimes I might put on the podcast. Like people have their ways of getting into Absolutely. their zone. And unfortunately, when you have that overall corporate culture, people can't be who they are and, and then have to conform to what the company believes is, is going to lead to productivity. But unfortunately, it's not necessarily true. I'm going to tell you who is oh, very proud of who they are. And that's a couple of our new listeners deep in the heart of Texas from Houston and Richardson, which is a town or city. I don't know what they are, but it's a says I'm going to go with the town outside of Dallas. And we want to thank our new, our newish listeners deep in the heart of Texas. I'm going to give you a little rendition here. My friends, the stars at night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that's for our Texas listeners. That's Tarallo. That's like the national anthem of the state of Texas. Are you sure about that? Or are you just, yes, it is. I, my friend, I swear to you, the prairie sky is wide and high deep in the heart of Texas. So it's thank you, my friend. Think how big Texas is, man. That state is Freaking bigger massive. than the country of the Iraq. Is exactly Iraq. So yeah, so thank you to our, all of our news listeners, and we're gonna we're gonna get to everyone eventually. So again, thank you for listening to us. Yes, and shout out to all you guys, and we of course want to thank you for listening because this is a wrap. 
So please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review as well as rate us. It helps with the analytics. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at HBP4040. You can always send us your feedback there. We'd love to hear from you. Of course, our drinks will be in the show notes. And do make sure you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace.